Welcome back to Bible Love. We are in Thursday and the first full week of Lent. And so each day during Lent has its own collect and set of readings. So if that's not part of your Lenten practice, I commend that to you. Here is the prayer for Thursday and the first week of Lent. Let us pray. Strengthen us, O Lord, by your grace, that in your might we may overcome all spiritual enemies and with pure hearts serve you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, Alan, that's pretty fitting for today um, because there's a lot of enemies happening in this um, first. Today, we're going to talk about the first four chapters of Second Samuel, and we were just kind of chit-chatting before, and there's a lot, a lot of enemy stuff happening, a lot of wars, a lot of hatred. Um, so, thank you, um, God, for that prayer to get us started, just to sort of set us up and also for you to uh, listeners maybe to have kind of an understanding of the region that we're talking about now. So these first four chapters of Second um, Samuel, of course, is, is the sequel to First Samuel, and it's sort of the history of David's reign as king. And so when we start off, we start over out that David is um, the king of Judah, which is in the south. And then next week we'll get into more where um, David becomes the king of Israel, which is in the north, and they become one unit, right? So today we're he's, uh, David is learning of Saul's death. Um, there's some lamenting. He's made the king. And then there's this war between Saul's children, Saul's sons, and David. Um, and, and, and these are... You know, a lot of people die, people are murdered, people are killed. We talked about this a lot with Tony and David, um, no, Tony and uh, Steve. And, you know, these are hard things to kind of chew on, right, when we're we're thinking about the Bible and um, David's humanity and immortality and, um, and, uh, affairs and killing people and all those things. They're, they're, they're hard things to put our teeth in too. So let's, let's kind of start, um, Alan with the first chapter, which is David learns of Saul's death, right? He learns that he's now the King, he's in charge and maybe he's excited, but also there's some lamenting in that as well. Right. Um, and I hear this like tearing of the clothes. People are sad and sorrow. Um, my God, where are you? Am I, am I really going to do this now? Um, all that kind of thing. I sort of feel this sense of maybe anxiousness, worry. Do I really have this? What do you think, Alan? Yeah. Um, I mean, you could tell David's love and care for them and just the kind of the visceral reaction of the response. I mean, tearing of clothes. Um, they mourned and wept and fasted until evening. You know, they sprinkle uh, dust on their head, which to me reminds me of what we did last week. 
uh, mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday, right? Yeah. Um, that you know, my study Bible says that tearing clothes and scattering dust was conventional signs of mourning, mm-hmm. and so some of this is a um, kind of ceremonial response right. as well, right? Like this is how people react, but all of that, like all almost all ceremonial responses, get their start somewhere else, and so like when I'm grieving or mourning, like I just want to break stuff. Yeah. And so if it's like, you know, ripping a hole in my sweatshirt or whatever it is. Or axe throwing, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. No. Um, So a friend and I really want to go to rage rooms. Are you familiar with what rage rooms are? Yeah. I I haven't been yet. They're a thing. Um, And we really want to go, right? Because when life gets crazy and like, up to our necks and whatever, like you just right. gotta go break stuff. Get some energy out of your house. Yeah, and so part of that's here, right? Like David, you know, obviously David has a lot of energy and that leads to a lot of his problems, which are like warfare and women. Mm-hmm. Right? And so he needs to burn off some steam apparently. And so when he's grieving, it manifests in rubbing dirt on his face, yelling, creaming, scrying, screaming, crying, ripping his clothes. Um, and then you get into kind of the beginning of where you see David, the poet, right? Yeah. Like we'll talk about David, the poet a lot for like a Many long time chapters. when we get into the Psalms, mm-hmm. however, we're going to divide that up. Um, but here in his lament, you know, David intoned this lamentation. And so to me, that's David breaking into song, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what he wants to do. And he goes through all of this and it's beautiful. It's poetic. And um, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Um, and so then, right, like part of it's for Saul, but then it goes into this thing with Jonathan, right? And David and Jonathan's relationship has been the subject of many a master's thesis, mm-hmm. like trying to figure out what that is. Because um, here, you know, the closing uh, portion of this lament, I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Yeah. I feel like that lamenting is so, so important. So again, I'm, I'm grateful David does that. And I think we sometimes bat- bypass that in our grief or our, our needing to reconcile or whatever that may be. Um, Alan knows this, but a lot of us in the diocese of upper South Carolina, and he kind of started this before he left are doing the sacred ground study. Um, and it is about race, racial reconciliation. And it's, it's mainly for white people to kind of understand um, people of color and what they've been through. And so now we're in like session seven or eight of this 10 session long. I mean, it's really taking us 10 months to do. And you really get into this part of lamenting, right? And maybe it wasn't you that have have done harm to other people, but your family did, or we all have, right? And so how important that lamenting is. Okay, so David's going to be king, but because he's going to be king, some people had to die, that he really loved and he really cared about. And so he needs to go to that deep place of grief, that deep place of sorrow. Um, and I think it's a great example for us. I think we just kind of want to bypass that in our, in our anger and our sorrow. We just want to go to the anger, to the rage rooms, right? And maybe not like sit in this dark place for a minute, which is okay 
to do. And David gives us a great example of that. Yesterday, I was at um, our um, senior living facility doing a um, monthly Eucharist, and we were discussing Luke from um, the, the gospel on Sunday and this temptation by the devil. And so we all kind of have this temptation in us, or we have these moments where we're like, mad and frustrated and I was looking around the room and it's like all these people on walkers or that can't go to the altar rail because of their physical um, limitations right now and they're frustrated and they're sad about that even there's no reason no big deal for me to bring communion to them they want to be at the altar rail and so we just like took a few minutes to lament that like frustration and sadness that our bodies won't physically let us do what we really want to do anymore. And afterwards, several of them were like, thank you so much for just like sitting in that with me for a minute. And I was like, well, listen, I'm about to talk about this tomorrow. David gives like a great, like gives us a great example of that lamenting. And I think we just don't do it enough personally. Yeah. I mean, it's, so I used to be part of this organization called Missional Voices. And we did one of the things we did one weekend was to look at lament and like based a whole kind of conference over how the church needs to lament things. Mm-hmm. And it was real beautiful to hear people talk about lament, not as just feeling sorry for ourselves, but lament for the desire, the yearning for what can be. Yeah. Right. So, so it's not a pity party necessarily, yeah. although that's part of lament. You know, it's not I'm mad at God or that that's part of lament. And that's okay, it's, don't you think? And that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> when we get to the Psalms, that's certainly okay. But it's also the yearning for the world is not right. God, make it right. And I think about how that's expressed, right? David, obviously, is a beautiful writer. Um, and so these words are poetic and beautiful. You can hear the pain and the anguish in it. You go to the Psalms of lament, um, Psalms of anger. It's still beautiful. I think about um, Negro spirituals, right? And so enslaved um, folks who, right, they're mad, they're pissed, they're they're all of it, right? But it expresses themselves in like the hope for what can be, you know? Um, And it's so beautiful, things that we still sing, right? We don't know the names of these folks, which is a tragedy, but we still sing these words, you know, 300, 200 years later um, because of the beauty that comes out. Right. Like a friend of mine uses the phrase hope in the mess, right? Like when life's crazy, when life's chaotic, when everything around you feels like it's falling apart, right? God is the hope in the mess. And we cling to that. David, his life falls apart, but he's still a man after God's own heart. Well, and how wonderful that we can trust God in that way, that we can trust God with these deep laments, with these deep frustrations, with you know, the words from the um, Negro spirituals, you know, all of those things that we have a God that we love so much and that we can, and loves us so much that we can, we can trust God with that. Um, And I, I love that, that God wants us to come to God, even in these moments of just deep despair and that there is such hope, as your friend said, hope in the mess. I love that. That's, that's wonderful. We all, you know, we all need those people in our lives. God's one of them. Sometimes we think we need to be too nice for God. But people who we can complain and moan and gripe and vent and process to. Um, without me- I've never done that to, with you. Yeah. You've never done that with me. I mean, But, needing, but doing that without, 
Yeah. Needing without the fe- feeling the need to immediately say, sorry, I'm venting or whatever, but just someone who's there just to hear and listen for David. That's got for us. That's God, right? Through, right. We'll talk about this a lot in the remainder of the old Testament, right? God is big enough. God wants to hear our cries for help. God wants to hear what's troubling us. God wants to be here for us in those parts where, you know, our best friend and our mentor like that have died. Yeah. Potentially at and something in which I had a hand in. Yeah. Right. If you put ourselves in David's shoes, right. Yeah. And I'm I'm grateful for those people that can sort of be the physical presence of God for us sometimes too and we need to do that. And I was teasing, you know, Alan and I've never done that for each other. But we have and we have other friends that we do that for. And isn't it wonderful to feel not that they're God, but that they are this presence that you don't have to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You just get to be free and lament. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So in chapter two, David is actually made the king of Judah. So he's not king of the whole nation, yet, just just Judah, the south. And then um, Saul's son, who I'm really struggling with how to say his name, Ishbeth, Ishbeth. Um, is made king of Israel. So there's this real separation between the two. And then this war breaks out between um, Israel and Judah, um, which has happened many times in history, right? Someone wants to claim one part. Someone wants to claim another part. It's happening right now in with Russia and Ukraine, right? And and in these, I mean, we're not in war and we hope that it doesn't come to that, but but it is about control and wanting this ownership of this. And that's kind of what's happening to me, right? Um, when I read chapter two is like, well, Saul was my dad. So that means I'm in charge of this and you're in charge of that. And instead of working together, we're going to fight it out, right? That's kind of what I'm reading. Yeah. I mean, this is a civil war, right? Like something starts it. There's whatever between the Northern and Southern kingdoms, but it pretty quickly devolves into all out warfare and we'll get to, you know, what comes next, but, um, one nation is conquered and sometimes the reunification is the goal. You know, U S civil war comes to mind, right? Like, um, Russia would really like to reunify, uh, but the world is pretty set against the fact that that's a really bad idea. And so, you know, then you get like the geopolitical things, which they're not in this time, geopolitical, whatever, like it's a completely different thing. These are families essentially going after each other. And that's why you get stuck in these places where you don't see any other way than to kill each other. Yeah. Control, control, control. control. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And then as we get into chapter three, um, this fighting becomes even more. And um, we get into this. It says David becomes stronger and stronger and his opponents become weaker and weaker. And then we get into this pair, couple of verses of David's sons, who, by the way, all have different mothers and all have um, there were six of them. And all have names that are very hard to pronounce. But for some reason, we still need to know where they were born, what their names were, what their mothers were. These names were to continue the lineage of 
um, us understanding. Um, the Bible continues to do this over and over and over. We continue to get that little short history lesson everywhere we go. And this is a little bit, I think, about what Scott was talking about last time. And he was like, by the way, you'll, you think you've got something figured out, and then you get like a little detail. And, and, and that's, I think this is what he was talking about. Like this, these six verses are like, really don't have much to do with the war, but we need to know these little details. Yeah. And it says in here, you know, like this is game of Thrones type stuff. Yeah. Well, there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, right? Like, I mean, that just highlights, this isn't some kind of big thought out geopolitical thing. This is tribes, a tribe that's divided up into clans or however, it goes they're trying to figure out who the one true king is and they go at it and sometimes it's the civil war that's the messiest because we really hate the people we love yes exactly and does that not make you think like going back earlier um when we were in sam the first samuel where you know, everybody kept saying, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And God's like, I'm not sure about that. And I think this is what, what God was saying. Like, this is what happens, right? When you pronounce these kings, when you, you know, families start fighting, war, everybody wants control. Again, our humanness comes in to all of us. And I just, God's always wiser than us. Why the heck do we not listen to God? You yeah, know, God is always wiser than us. So, okay, and this is continues on. Um, we get into Abner, um, and Abner became more and more powerful on Saul's side. So now we've got this this person that's fighting on Saul's side, and I guess David says, "Well, I just got to take him out," and so he murders Abner. Um, and then we have this whole thing about burial and then another one of, um, Saul's sons is murdered. And so that kind of takes out that whole side. And when we get into next week, that's when the two kingdoms unite and we have what we now know of as Jerusalem. Um, and, and, and so much death had to happen to make that happen. Um, and again, we are hearing some of this lamenting in, um, chapter three, um, and sort of this song again, like, why did Abner have to die like a fool? His hands were not tied. His feet were not bound, not bound. He died like someone killed by criminals. You know, again, like that lamenting continues, that song, that singing kind of continues through what we've been talking about. Right. Yeah. And this, you know, right, like all of this starts and so the kingdoms, they wanted a king. And when a king comes in, that's when power and rule and authority and kingdoms and territory come into play. Before, when you had judges and, you know, all of that, right, God's still the ultimate source of authority. Right, Pretty soon, it's not far from a kingdom to the king as the ultimate source of authority to whatever else that devolves into. And you think about they're going to consolidate power here. That power is going to be consolidated in Jerusalem. And like Jerusalem has been the center of world conflict for millennia. Um, yeah. It kind of goes back to these families that couldn't figure it out. Yeah. So what do you think in these first four chapters, like besides the history of 
what we've learned in this time and sort of what happens. What do we as the reader in 2022 kind of take from this? What do you think? I think it's kind of what we talked about last week, right? David is a flawed figure. Um, but David is the person who scripture identifies as after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. He has six kids from six different women. He mm-hmm. has the husband of one of his women sent to the front lines and killed. He like has a hand in taking out people that are threats to he all of this. Yeah. But like he's a tragic figure because he's fallible like all of us, but he's still a man after God's own heart. He's still the person that God wanted ordained, appointed, um, to lead God's people. And he does some great things. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think in the, I think I agree with you. I think for me, um, and it's probably what we talked about the longest is, is, um, David's lament for Saul and Jonathan. I'm really grateful for that. Cause like I said, I think we just like really try to bypass that in our own emotions way too much. Um, you know, lament can really be a part of anything we do, right? Any, it doesn't, you don't have to have some tragic event happen in your life to, to mourn, you know, it can, it can be a friendship that's not the same as you once wanted it to be. It could be, you know, this pandemic and the way that you are worshiping doesn't feel the same as it always has, it could be that you right now are only getting to dip your wafer in your cup, in the cup, communion cup, and you can't take communion the way you want to. It could be just like some have of Have you been talking to my parishioners? Yeah, yeah, I have secretly. Um, have you been talking to mine? Um, <laughs> it could be that you are on a walker and you can't come up to the communion rail and that hurts your heart. You know, I think sitting with this with a trusted friend, with someone who is a presence in your life, um, with God and lamenting and all of David's failures and all of David's humanness, as you said, God, David continued to seek God. David continued to ask God, be with me as I do this. Sit with me in my sadness. Sit with me that my friends have died and yeah, that makes me king, but that doesn't mean I don't have a heart a heartache right now. Um, and I, I just I think in a, in during the Lenten season that is particularly important. Um, you know, we have these seasons of the church year to focus on different things in Lent. Sometimes people are like, oh, the mortality and you know all of that. But I think it's important to take the time to think through what you've lost. Um, I uh, will be really, really vulnerable right now and tell y'all, um, you know, that Murray, my husband, has a traumatic brain injury. And I did this six weeks course on caregiving for people that have um, brain injuries. And one of my favorite sessions in that was the grief. And it was like, what have you lost? And for me, it's what a marriage looks like, right? What like I think a normal marriage might look like. And we did this whole exercising of lamenting and thinking through that. And it was so freeing for me to just spend time in that and then just accept what I do have, you know, which may not look like other marriages. Um, And so I just tell you that to encourage you to do it. And if you don't know what that looks like, pick up the second book of Samuel 
verse um, chapter one, verse seventeen. You got a great example right there. So, any other yeah. thoughts? Yeah, no, it makes me think. Um, so Lent is really hard for me. Lent five years ago is when my dad was both diagnosed and died uh, right. with cancer within the course of three weeks. And like I lamented, I grieved pretty publicly. I was a baby priest. And it's kind of amazing um, the avenue of conversation it opened up, right? The number of grown men who were as old as my dad who walked up to me and said, like, to see someone do that, like, means something. And so we could have conversations about either them remembering the great relationship they had with their dad, and we could talk about how we shared that, or them saying, you know, I struggle because I didn't have a great relationship with my dad, but he still died, and what? And to talk about that. And it's all because some priest didn't have his crap together because his dad was dying, and he was willing to lament and be vulnerable in public. And so there's something that happens when people witness that, when we don't try to hold our lives together. Right? Like, I'm still a professional, and I still have a job to do, whatever. But to admit Lent every year sucks for me. I mean, my sermon on Ash Wednesday was, I hate Ash Wednesday. Yeah. And I told people why I hate Ash Wednesday. Because I'm not going to sugarcoat it, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, it was like a I still do this. Fantastic sermon. And I, for one, really appreciate whenever you talk about your dad or anything that is going on in your life. And, and I hope people do that with me as well, because I think it does real, make people realize that that vulnerability. And that trusting in people and faith in God only can help us open up conversation, grow closer to God. So thank you for always sharing that um, and several other things. And just like with sharing with Murray, like I want to do that because I want the listeners to understand Alan and I's lives are not perfect. And we go to the Bible all the time and we come to each other and we come to other people. And we do this lamenting too because we think it's important. Um, and so I'm kind of grateful for David and his lamenting today. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it shows that David can be this larger than life figure, right? Aside from maybe Moses, he's the most important person in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. He was a messed up dude. And yeah. like he kind of, you can't hide the fact that you've got six kids from six different women. Like he had to live this and he lamented. It says he intoned, which means like he's yelling out, he's screaming out this lamentations. His psalms, where he writes down all his junk, those were meant to be sung. I mean, he's doing this out loud. So you can see that someone who's broken, someone who's hurting, someone who's suffering is still someone after God's own heart. Like, we don't have to have it all together. Like, I think too often, particularly clergy, all pray to this, is we think we have to hold it together. No, we actually don't. Like, we need to model what it's like to kind of fall apart into God's hands. Totally agree. And I mean... It got put in the number one most read book in the world, right? Yeah. And so you can't hide behind those things, and that's good. It's really good. Um, Alan, you want to close this out today? Listeners, as we journey through Lent, maybe you're going through something difficult. Um, know that we love you, but most importantly, God does. 